way back when I built my very first AR-15 and really got into tactical optics to begin with, I struggled so much with what optic I was going to pick. I agonized over this decision for months. Is it a red dot? Is it an ACOG? Is it a low power variable? I was all over the map and I'm sure you can relate. In this episode, we're going to make it simple, just as I had wished someone had made it simple for me all those years ago. So welcome to the Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it is all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. I'm your host, Matt Robertson. I'm glad you could join me today for episode number 42. Our website is everydaymarksman.co, and there you're going to find today's show notes as well as all of our other podcast episodes, our social links, articles, and our awesome community of marksmen. Now, before I get to today's episode, I do have a quick housekeeping issue. I want to say congratulations to the winners of the Q4 Postal Match. Now, if you're not familiar with it, a Postal Match is an opportunity for anybody to participate in a shooting match from the comfort of their own home, range, or maybe even inside their house if you're if you're rich, not like me. <laughs> The Q4 match was all about pistol fundamentals. It took place up to 25 yards, and we had four categories. We had center fire optics and irons. We had rim fire optics and irons, and we have one winner for each category. So here's our winners. Brian D. for rimfire irons. Aaron D. for rimfire optics. Centerfire Optics goes to Alex B, and Centerfire Irons goes to Dan K. Now, I want to shout out to everybody who competed because there were some great scores out there, a lot of great after-action reviews, and I had to have a four-way tiebreaker on Centerfire Irons because it was such good performance, and guys, I was really impressed with the 25-yard shooting on a less-than-two-inch target, which was awesome. Each of our winners for this quarter are going to get a Everyday Marksman decal, which is also available through our website at our support shop, everydaymarksman.co forward slash support. Now with that, let's get on to today's episode. Now optics can get overwhelming. A lot of folks, including me, have gotten wound around the axle over things like barrels and triggers, and rightly so. And optics is one of those things that just keeps coming back as something you tinker with. And to be honest, I think that reason is because it's actually detachable, and it's relatively easy to swap it in and out as you as you tinker with different options. And it's an easy place to spend a lot of money unnecessarily. There's a lot of fluff out there, a lot of people giving you bad advice, especially when it comes to being tactical. Now, there's already a lot of good guides out there. I don't want to rehash over a lot of the stuff that's been written out there. I want to make this simpler. I want to talk about my two big rules for buying gear, which you've heard them before. I'm going to talk about my six classes of optics, which really it's five. I threw iron sights in there. You'll see. We're going to talk about it. Now, this is less of a buyer's guide because the world of optics is always changing. Everybody's coming out with new stuff all the time. So if I if I tell you today that in December 2020 that the optic to buy is an Aimpoint Pro, then who knows? Next year, Aimpoint comes out with the M5. I know it's already out, but you get the idea. Stick with me here. Things change all the time. So it's not really worth it for me to tell you the best one to buy today. What I want to tell you is basic concepts for choosing the right optic for what you need to do. 
There is no such thing as a best optic. Everything is a compromise. And a quality one is going to serve you for a long time and probably multiple rifles. Here are my two rules for buying gear. Number one, let the mission dictate configuration. And number two, buy nice or buy twice. What does that mean? Really quickly, let the mission dictate the configuration means you need to know the role that your rifle is going to fulfill. Then you pick the optic to fulfill that role. And I don't mean picking some imaginary situation where you think you're going to use that optic. I mean, being realistic, how are you actually going to use that rifle? Buy nice or buy twice means buy quality. I'm not saying you have to buy the most expensive thing in the world. I would love to advocate for that and collect that kind of affiliate income. But let's be honest, I'm not rich enough to buy that. And most people aren't either unless we have government pockets. But I also don't think we should be buying the cheapest thing on the market because that's built to a price point and it's really attractive at that price point, but it's probably not going to last. So I don't mean you have to buy the best in class, just buy quality. Now, in 2008, Zach Smith wrote an article for Shotgun News detailing his thoughts on fighting optics. And he categorized everything into CQB, DMR, and SPR. And I really liked that structure, and I adopted that. So full credit to Zach Smith for getting me started on how I think about optics. Um, But things have evolved since 2008. We've come a long way in how we think about things and even what's on the market. So I've got five classes of optics that I like to talk about. And I mentioned six earlier, but class zero is iron sights. And this is not a discussion about iron sights versus optics. That could be for another day, but just know that I categorize optics as class zero, which means root and disregarding them. So start with class one. Class one is iron sight replacements. Class two is low powered fixed magnification. Think ACOG. Class three is low power variable magnification. Class four is mid to high magnification. And class five is a digital hybrid. Now, the interesting thing about this is there was a a slide the U.S. Army presented in 2015 that basically used the same categorization I'm doing, but called it generations, first gen, second gen, third gen, and beyond. And it follows basically a similar pattern here. But that's not the important piece of this. Let's actually dig into the individual classes and what I think their ideal use is. Starting with class one, replacing your iron sights. Now, I don't mean literally replacing your iron sights. Don't take off your iron sights, throw a class one optic on there and say, you're good. There's no reason you can't run both at the same time. Actually, I take that back. There are a couple of reasons that you might not be able to run both at the same time, um, but that's for another day. Now, this is the most popular class of optic on modern AR-15s. It is typified by the red dot sight, the aim points, the hollow suns, the EOTEX, the, the, the vortex. Uh, you, you know the ones. I'm not going to say this is only red dot sights because your classic red dot sight has an LED or a holographic projector that's going to project a dot onto a screen, and then you overlay that dot onto the target, point, click, bang, hit the target. However... There are also a lot of zero magnification optics that do the same thing that aren't projecting dots. These are like prismatic zero magnification sites that have an etched reticle that illuminates, um, but functionally works the same way. And they're much better for people who have astigmatism like me, not getting into those details today, just know that exists. So my, my personal definition of a class one is something with zero magnification, 
but speeds up the aiming process. That's the key. It speeds up the aiming process. Now, the big thing with a class one optic is that you are doing a set and forget style of zero. The original M16A1 used a battle sight zero that most people figured was about 300 yards. Now, why they pick 300 yards? Because back in the 1950s, the Ordnance Department of the U.S. Army did a whole lot of studies about the actual combat distance of small arms. And they determined that the vast majority of combat from the Civil War up through World War II happened at less than 100 yards, with combat beyond 300 yards being a very rare exception. You were more likely to get hit by an artillery shell as a random event than to actually get hit by aimed fire at 300 yards. Yes, I know the Marines out there will tell me about Bellow Wood and all the classic examples. Let's consider those as the outliers. The vast majority of small arms combat happens inside of 300 yards. So the thinking was to set the iron sights to 300 yards to leverage the point blank zero. Meaning that if you set for 300 yards, we know the ballistic arc of the bullet will go above or below the point of aim only so much before it impacts something. And that radius is really interesting. I will leave a link to my whole article about the point blank zero in the show notes to this episode. Red dot sights work the same way. You are not going to be adjusting elevation or windage on the fly. They are the kind of optic where you're going to set your zero and then you just have to know your holdovers for every distance in between and beyond the zero that you set. And they are fantastic optics for anything at less than 50 yards. They are king of close quarters and speed. They are also really good for anything between 50 and 200 yards. And right there with that, that's pretty much the operational distance of the AR-15 platform. So yes, red dot sights become the ideal beginner optic because they are the closest thing to running iron sights. Now, the biggest problem with the class one optic though is that it has no magnification. Why is that a problem? Well, in the real world, when we're not just shooting at a piece of paper, maybe it's a competition or maybe it's a tactical usage or maybe it's hunting, the things that we shoot at tend to want to hide. They don't want to be shot. So sometimes a little bit of magnification at distance helps you better identify the target and know what you're shooting at. And that is where a class one optic fails. If you don't have incredible eyesight, then it's going to get a little bit harder to find that target if it's laying in the grass or hiding behind a rock at something like at 200 yards. And that is where a class two optics come in. A class two optic is the low powered fixed magnification, something that it's 4X or 3X or 3.5X. And it's very clear, it's compact, it's lightweight, and it is durable. Now, the ACOG is only one example of a class two. I also happen to own Elcan Spectre OS, which is the Canadian version. There's also the classic Elcan C79. SIG Optics Bravo series follows this category. Zeiss has made versions of these. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them out there. Now, it really gained traction, I'd say, in the late 80s. People started seeing these things on experimental rifles. And then we started seeing them into the 90s. I think they really demonstrate the idea of a rifleman's skill set because they really do reward fundamentals. They are magnified optics, so you're able to see out there to the distance a little bit more and scan for your target, hunt for it while you're, you're looking into the, the grasses and the rocks. And then uh, most of them have some kind of 
Stadia reticle lets let you use holdovers so that you can see the target, you can estimate how far that target is, and you can hit it. How far can you hit it out to? Well, that comes down to your skill. I have used my Elcan, which is a 4X optic. I have used that out to 700 yards before. And I'm not gonna say I can do that on the fly. Um, I definitely took somebody with a spotting scope. I was able to identify my shots with a 4X scope out to 700 yards. The Elcan has extremely clear glass, by the way. I probably couldn't do that with something cheaper. Now, the BDC reticles, these things, the bullet drop compensating reticles, are not terribly precise. These are not precision optics, and for the most part, you're also not going to be dialing windage or elevation. Not that you can't, but you're probably not going to. I think the ideal space for a class two optic is outdoors between 50 and 300 yards. Indoors, red dot sight all day, but outdoors is where I really saw the shine. Now I go back to a, a training class that I took a couple years ago and I actually ran, I ran a bunch of optics in that class, but we were going out to uh, jungle lanes, which went out to about 300 yards, maybe give or take, outdoors in wooded terrain. And I did run a red dot sight. I ran an ACOG and I ran my LCAN. I even ran my low power variable, which is class three. And they all worked great. But I definitely had a much easier time looking into the, into the distance and finding targets when I had a bit of magnification to help me out with a nice, bright, glowing reticle. Now, where these things are going to lose out, I think, to class one is obviously speed. You can be fast with a class two optic as long as it has a bright reticle, but you're still not going to be as fast as a class one with a red dot sight or something like that. But then that talks about class three optics the low power variable option. Now a low power variable gives you the option. This is, you can run it down to one X being no magnification, basically a class one optic or zoom it up. Now the latest ones today go up to 10 X. That's a huge span of magnification you can work through. I think class two optics have started to lose ground on this. When I first started shooting and I'll admit my very first optic I bought from my AR-15 was a class three. It was a one to four X variable was a TR24 from Trigicon. Still have it, still use it. But at the time, these low power variable class three optics topped out around four magnification, four X. So you had a choice between a very durable, very clear with incredible glass optic like my Elcan or my, my ACOG, or I could get a variable optic for a little bit less money, but that gave me a wider range of capability. So why would I ever go with the more expensive fixed option? Well, that came down to durability. Because to get that kind of durability out of a variable power optic required spending at least $2,000, if not more. At the time, that would have been something like the Elecan Spectre DR. However, because the low power variable class three market has been so hot in the last 10 years, a lot of companies have done a lot of work to make these things better, more durable, and have wider magnification. I can see a whole lot more argument today for a one to eight X or a one to 10 X, even if it's not quite as durable over something like a fixed three X or a fixed four X. The main downside is weight. A variable optic is always going to weigh more than anything that's fixed. It's more complicated. Therefore, it's going to cost more to execute well. If you remember my interview with Ilya Koshkin, Dark Lord of Optics, we had a sidebar, which I can't remember if I actually made it into the interview I recorded, 
But we talked about when it comes to compromise, sometimes it's better to go with the simpler option because it's going to be executed well for a lower price. So in general, at a lower price point, a fixed magnification is going to be more durable and have better optics than a variable optic of the same price. So let's jump up to class four then, the mid to high power options. This is what Zach Smith would have said to be for SPRs. This is what you're going to find on your recce rifles and your DMR rifles or even precision rifles like I've seen with my bolt actions. They're going to top out anywhere between 9 to 16 to 24 to 35 magnification. A lot of times the reticles are going to be done in mil radians or MRADs or they're going to be in minutes of angle. They're going to have the adjustable turrets on the top. They're going to have all the features you would expect of a precision rifle scope. And they work really well at that. But of course, now you're talking about distances well beyond what you would typically be using your AR-15 for. Because less than 300 yards, class 1, 2, or 3 are going to be way better to use than something in a class 4. Beyond 500 yards, 6, 700 yards, or maybe you actually want to do some long-distance observation, your class 4 optic is going to shine. I probably don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that one. Picking the right precision optic is a whole other topic for another day. So let's talk briefly about my class five, the digital hybrid. Now this is kind of the world of science fiction, but do you remember a few years ago, there was a company called Tracking Point that made a whole lot of buzz in the market. And they had this whole idea that you could take a scope and you could insert computers into it. And the computers would be automatically checking things like distance to target. And they would know the ballistics of the bullet you were firing and they could read environmental conditions such as barometric pressure and density altitude and all that fun stuff the precision shooters love to talk about. And then within inside the reticle, it could project where you should aim on the target. And all you had to do was move the scope, the, the point of impact to where it told you where to aim and it would automatically fire for you. It was called cheating. Now that system has never gained widespread Traction, probably because it costs a lot. It was a very large system, but the idea still exists. And I guarantee, though I have not actually seen this thing in action, there are probably a lot of very smart people at very smart companies getting a lot of money from the government to be able to make these things reality. We're getting there. I think this stuff's going to become more popular in the future, but we're not there yet. So I'm not spending a whole lot of time talking about that one. Now, one question that will come up when we're talking about all these classes of optics is combining optic classes together. So for example, Jeff Gerwich, who I interviewed earlier in 2020, he mentioned to me that the ideal optic configuration for his rifle, and keep in mind, he is both a special forces, former special forces member, as well as a competitive shooter. He's a big fan of a class three low power variable optic but also with a piggybacked miniature red dot sight, a class one optic. So combining class three and class one. And there's a lot of people over time who've done things like piggybacking or offsetting miniature red dot sights with a class two ACOG as well. I think there's a lot to be said for doing this. You're gaining, you're gaining the pluses of both formats uh, and your only expense is weight. And, and of course the price. <laughs> So there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think it's a really, really good solution. There's been some other ones out there. I think Leupold had something called the Devo a while ago that used a prism sight and a red dot sight mashed together 
so that you didn't have to move your head whatsoever to look around. And that also never really caught on because the thing was really bulky, but it was a really cool concept. Now, what I would say, if I'm trying to make this simple for everything, boils down to this. If your priority is zero to 100 yards and you really care about speed, go for a class one. Get the red dot sight, get that prism sight, but stick to that no magnification, make it fast. If you're really thinking about 50 to 400 yards and you're being very weight conscious, I think a class two low power fixed magnification is the ticket. I know I people will argue with me on this because there's a lot of really good variable options out there. That's why I'm saying if your priority is weight. Now, if you're less concerned about weight and you still want that kind of performance, then low power variable all day. I think it's, it's a worthy trade-off for most people to go for that low power variable, which gives you that capability from zero to 500 and beyond. Also, if you like having adjustable target turrets and blah, 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 all that stuff. As soon as you start talking mid to long range precision or competition use like that, now we're into class four. And lastly, if you won the lottery and you want to be an angel investor in new technology, sure, go after class five digital optics. Now, these rules are not laws. They're not hard and fast. Don't take them as the truth. Given time, you're going to find that everything has compromise. Everybody has their own twists and preferences. And the key is you just have to get out there and know what you need. And if you don't know what you need, don't feel in a rush to spend the money. Keep it simple. Shoot first, know how you want to use the rifle, and then when you have a better idea, go spend the money. All right, thank you for sticking around. I know this was a slightly longer episode for a solo. Uh, let me know if you liked it. I don't typically do these audio versions of my own articles. Uh, this is pretty much what I did. I have an article about this very topic on the website already, and I'm gonna share a link to that article in the show notes of this episode, and I'm also gonna embed this episode in that article to kind of give an audio version of it. So did you like it, not like it? Let me know, it was quite a bit more off the cuff. So come on by the website, everydaymarksman.co, and check it out. And while you are there, could you do me a favor? The best way that I have to communicate with people is via email. I would love to get a hold of your email address. And in return, I promise I will not spam you. I hate email spam, but email really is the best way for me to let you know what's going on with the website, uh, new articles, new podcast episodes, deals that come up. I only, I post two episodes or two articles a week. I send out a weekly email just as a digest of what articles have gone up so you don't get every message that comes up. And from time to time, typically about once a month, I like to send a newsletter with some community news, some thoughts and insights about what's going on. That is it. There's subscribe buttons all over the website. So just come on by, hit subscribe. I would love to see you part of the community. Now that is it for me. Until next time, this is Matt. Take care of yourself.